guess those few points that I uh, sent you today on uh, on 3M, did you read that story? Like, prior to yeah. Yeah. Um, What's your take on it? I'm not really the type of person to be like, it's us versus them. Uh, especially when it comes to a global pandemic, I feel like, you know, we best deal with the situation by working together, trying to secure masks exports to Canada and, and trying to, I, I don't know. It, it just, it's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky situation. Cause I could see, okay. Like, I guess in a scenario you could argue and say, well, what if there weren't enough masks for the situation, you know? in the states which we know that's the case in some areas and it's like there's a call like for masks by a whole bunch of governors right Mm -hmm. and there's more people dying in the states than there is in canada like it's so i mean you could argue that you know okay in certain parts of the states it's more of an emergency to get them there than it is to canada so you could argue and say hey he's protecting the u.s interests just like canada would protect their interests but But strategically, uh, you know, the, the administration over the past number of years has not always looked at things strategically. Sometimes they would just look at the tactical thing without looking at necessarily the bigger picture. And then they would flip back and come around and say, hey, you know what, um, maybe that wasn't a good idea. So I just, you know, I just wonder when that decision was made. Uh, whether it was just really quick, not looking many steps ahead and, and how that might impact uh, trade. Mm-hmm. So, but we don't have enough, you know, information necessarily to know why they made the decision. So I'm just going to kind of stay out of that. The only, the only point I really wanted to make is that uh, it just reminded me of the whole reason why the uh or the financial system the way it is in the world you know based on fiat currency and a system that where you could manipulate and fix prices and print as much money as you want and then throw it over to the taxpayer uh there's really nobody watching like who's making these decisions and you know if the community could somehow have a say in terms of like what's best uh, for them, then that would work out a lot better. You'd probably have fewer financial crises. So it kind of reminded me of why the blockchain and why cryptocurrencies came into existence in the first place. In the first the place. Idea, right. Yeah, like the idea of taking away the power of the state and putting it in, you know, into both the people and the state. Everyone gets a, a, an active voice. Uh, the community gets to decide, hey, it's not just based on prices, maximizing profit, but there's many dimensions of uh, of merit that could be derived from a decision of whether to produce more of some currency, whether that currency is fiat or more appropriately uh, based on some blockchain where you can't actually, um, you know, just produce an infinite amount of it. So, so when I was reading the article and it, you know, kind of talked about the idea of, you know, make potentially making a rash decision and not thinking ahead about how it would affect on a net basis, 
uh, you know, both parties. It's kind of like back in, the, in wartime, in World War II, when uh, game theory really came into action and, uh, you know, wargaming strategies were using this game theory to figure out, hey, like what, what move should I do so that even though it may not seem like a good move on the first step, it's ultimately going to benefit me and the rest of the parties. And like the world a chess game. Yeah. So it kind of, it's kind of similar to the way the kind of uh, financial research that I look at, you know, to make assessments of the market and try not to, you know, marry yourself to the idea that if you're an investor and you're trying to participate, let's say in a trend, whether it's up or down right now, I've been really focused on trying to find, put together a shopping list and focused on areas where I could actually buy into. And the thing is sometimes you have to step in knowing that, okay, maybe that first step isn't the one that's going to be, you know, the, the immediate move. But if you could actually see ahead a few pieces and, uh, and realize that, Hey, you know what, if a pullback was to happen, it would just set up an action uh, to cause a move to go higher. So I'll give you an example. Like right now, some people are really, really uncertain about which direction they should invest in. They know that nobody really knows um, when this uh, pandemic exponential rise is going to end in, uh, in the Americas. And we have a lot of dates, as I said, like from April, May, and then some people saying six to 12 months or more. But because of that, as an investor, there, a lot of investors think the economy and the stock market move together. But the point that they miss in the game theory part of it is that while it does make sense that the uncertainty you would think would continue driving the market down, the, the government response and the central bank response to that would actually cause the market to go up and inflate based on the fact that the markets are priced in US dollars and inflating the money supply uh, would, and also doing quantitative easing, which basically means uh, the central banks buying equities outright. They could buy as much as they want because they could create as much money as they want. And it doesn't matter how much selling there is if you have an infinite buyer that's willing to step up and take things up. So I think people that are thinking, well, if it gets really bad, the market has to crash. Yeah, the initial knee-jerk reaction could be you get a quick draw, but then the central banks come in and then you all the shorts cover and you get a very, very dramatic rally. Something I believe on orders of magnitude bigger than what we've seen in the past uh, you know, few weeks off of that low. So. And I think this one could be, you know, have quite, a, you know, could stage quite a bit of legs to it. It's not, I don't think it's going to be a rally that ends immediately. And I think uh, we're, we're carving in some kind of uh, tradable low. Mm -hmm. but I don't believe it's the low necessarily like for, you know, over the next, you know, as a long-term investor, but I, I think there's a lot of money to make in it as a trader. And it's also not a bad area to step in on high value securities that may have pulled back in that uh, sell off. That's all I really wanted to say about uh, that specific report on uh, 3M halting the mass exports potentially. <laughs>
So essentially, and that's kind of the theme here, isn't it? That, um, you know, just because there's bad news doesn't mean the markets are going to go down. I mean, I, I every single day I read about people um, expecting, you know, the, the S&P to fall, you know, they'll, you know, try to short it and uh, the opposite happens and they end up losing $2,000. And then the only thing that they can make up for it is, you know, the next day, $600, right? And this is, this is the problem. It's people are not thinking about um, at, at least even um, some of the more seasoned investors are not thinking um, of all of the, um, all of the pieces to the puzzle, so to speak, right? So there's multiple things going on across um, multiple avenues that you can't, I mean, you can predict in some ways, but it's extremely hard for our minds to kind of focus and, um, you know, ignore the noise. So well, that's a really, that's a really good point because it kind of reminds me of the crisis we had, it was kind of like, it used to be every 10 years we get a crisis and now it's kind of like narrowing in. It's kind of like every year or two. Mm -hmm. that's a, and that's usually what happens when you go, when you're about to shift into a different economic long-term cycle. But kind of reminds me of 2019, like, eight, like well, and 18, like when we had like some pretty abrupt sell-offs and we had like trade, you know, at least some kind of trade war going on, I would call it. And, you know, the basic idea was, oh, there's this great trade war and uh, the supply chain is disrupted. So, you know, all the stocks are going to crash. And then what do we get? The biggest rally in, in U.S. history to all-time new highs. Not surprising, uh, considering, well, the amount of money in the system, uh, and also not um, not surprising that when you disrupt a supply chain and people panic that they may not be able to get goods, they start building redundancies. When you start building redundancies, there's capital spending that's going on across all industry sectors. And that capital spending requires real productive services, not just money printing. So there's actually real economic profit taking place. Today, it's in a narrow sector because most of that spending is going on, was going on in the tech space. Mm -hmm. So that's why we had that incredible rally in NASDAQ that took leadership when the S&P 500 moved to those great heights until it started like rolling over in an epic sell-off. So now we're kind of, you know, in another, you know, it's kind of a rhyme situation. It's a totally different set of scenarios, but it's like, you know, people are thinking the same way. How could possibly you know, go up. <laughs> but then, then why did they think about this going down when it was like, cause they were aware, like investors were still buying up the market uh, before the big break on the downside, even knowing that there was this, you know, uh, epidemic in certain uh, countries that was moving fast towards the West. They, they knew it and they didn't care, but, it's just, it's just the delay. It's just a matter of time before some economic reports come out and they get spooked. And, uh, and then maybe some traders that bought at lower levels said, hey, you know what? Let's ring the cash register. And that little sell-off, kind of like a piece of sand, once you grow the castle too high, one piece of sand could cause the whole castle to fall. So it's kind of like that little tipping point. And 
I believe that it's just the opposite right now. You've got that elastic band stretched to the extreme. Some people think the elastic band is going to snap and break completely. And not only are you not going to get um, a V-shaped recovery, uh, and some people think it's not even going to be a U-shaped recovery. Some people think it's going to be a flat recovery. And then there's some people now in, in New York talking about it's going to be a straight line down into the chasm. When you start hearing things like that, it's kind of like, you know, it's just a newspaper away or a digital print away from showing like this great big bear falling into a chasm. And you know, that's the low because that's usually when the low happens, when people start talking like that, especially when smart people and professional investors start talking like that, because they're usually the last ones to talk like that because they know better. Well, even Warren Buffett today um, sold 12.9 million Delta shares and 2.3 million Southwest shares. Um, he still owns a bunch of shares in those companies, but um, I, I did hear how basically he plays the market. He notifies people uh, and the market reacts and they sell their shares and then he buys them up again at a discount. Yeah, I think it's important to note that the S&P 500 and certain technology stocks that will be going up in this short covering rally uh, does not mean that Delta Airlines and the things that Buffett talked about today were actually wrong choices. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he he's, he's knows what he's doing. Uh, and I, I, I actually looking at the chart right now based on my... Uh, analysis framework and it's not one of those names that I would be very happy about um, owning uh, mm -hmm. I would yeah so I, I think it's it look if you get a 5,000 point rally uh, or more in the Dow and you know a, a 500 plus point rally in the S&P which I do see happening or even much more than that uh, I could even make a case that will make an all-time new high at some point but I don't want to go there because I take a step at a time. If we go up 5,000 points and then it says, Hey, we're going to roll over and mm -hmm. I'm going to, we're going to have a podcast. So we're going to tell people, Hey, be extremely careful. Bad things could happen. But right now we're in the opposite side in the near to intermediate term. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, it's true with that kind of rally, almost everything, it lifts all boats. So could Delta go up and then people say, Oh, Warren Buffett, you made a mistake. As an investor, I don't think he made any mistake to lighten up. He had a big position. Uh, fundamentally, it, it just makes absolutely no sense that, uh, you know, that the airlines have, um, you know, really factored in all of the damage that could take place. And, and the way investors react to news stories, this doesn't look like it's the low for it. So it, right now it's like a 2248. When it originally started crashing, like precipitously, it was up in the, you know, above 50. Mm -hmm. So can you get, I mean, technically just like it would be unreasonable to go a rally 100% in a, in a crazy short covering rally. If it did happen, uh, it would be said, it, it, it would not last very long. And, and as an investor, if you actually held on, you're going to be seeing significantly lower lows or dead money for a long time and Warren Buffett's one of the kind of people that if he could raise cash when a lot of 
investments are falling that have tremendous value, then he likes to buy the cheapest stocks. Like, and, and the thing is, maybe at the time when he bought Delta at a much lower valuation, it was like, okay, the best party in town because everything else was expensive, let's say. But now, because the market has crashed, there's so many opportunities. And, it's a, and as he stated many times in his annual meetings, he says he loves when the market crashes because it exposes what's good and what's bad and mm -hmm. what kind of balance sheets could survive. And I'm sure he's seeing things right now just like I'm seeing that the market's going up, he's probably seeing individual equities that he would love to own because they're cheaper than they were before. And if he liked them before and they're cheaper, he likes them even more. That's what he always says. So right. I'm sure he's deploying some of that cash that he's taking out from his core position and putting it into names that have even, that have been really roiled by the market that he thinks have a tremendous potential in, in the more intermediate or even shorter term and long-term. Well said. So, yeah, so that's all I have to say about Warren Buffett today. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, let's see. Do you want to talk about, um, there are a couple of things that you, uh, you sent to me. Uh, one of them, uh, so basically, the way that I'm going to kind of move forward with this is that I will just say something uh, like, for example, putting 3M on your shopping list. For example, if that's not something that you want people to know about, unless they're uh, running alpha oh. subscribers, uh, then just tell me. Oh, like, that's, that's, that's fine. Not a problem. But, but, on, but along those lines. List, on my shopping list does not mean I'm buying it right now, but it's a name that if like, all the other names I look at, they have to have a certain signature to even give me a war like a warning or an alert that there's going to be something significant happening in, right. in the short to intermediate term that just a small piece of good news or catalyst coming into the market to really send a stock moving up significantly relative to others. And that's just one of the names. So when I put it on the shopping list, it means, hey, focus the attention and wait for confirmation. Once I get confirmation and I'm pounding the table on that name, then we're gonna, we'll, you know, we'll have another podcast where we, we identify exactly, you know, what's happening in the uh, short and intermediate term and what levels people mm -hmm. should be focusing on. So, um, yeah, and, and if there is something that, you know. My leading indicators of human and machine perceptions it's telling me that the most dramatic, surprising move to the upside is going to be worth being an investor in by at least stepping in and putting together a shopping list compared to anything that could happen on the downside. Now, I want to put a caveat here because it is technically not permitted uh, by any podcaster uh, or investment manager to put out an audio that says something is definite. Uh, so I'm telling you, this is like informational uh, for informational purposes, but as investors, you should take that information and really study 
the kind of companies that you may want to invest in, given that the beta effect, meaning the effect that the overall market would have on individual securities in an up move would be rather dramatic. And then talk to your financial advisor and discuss what's appropriate for your risk level. And, uh, and I think if you do that, um, you're going to be, you know, positioned better than, you know, 99.9% .9 of traders out there. Any update on that? Yeah. This is not just players in the next few days. These are, these are players like I, I'm not interested in looking at moves that don't have legs for a long, like for the intermediate term as well. Mm -hmm. So, because I like using the short term as stepping in and then, and then really getting aggressive and, and uh, like into a core position once uh, some other indicators come together. So, uh, my favorite is I really like Netflix a lot. Now, I mean, fundamentally, it makes sense. You know, there's a lot of talk like all these, you know, this today and the past few days, a number of companies have come out in the space and said, oh, we're going to offer, uh, you know, free movies during, uh, during this crisis. And, but the thing is, they're one off like movies, old movies. The content is not, it uh, doesn't fresh. have the appeal that Netflix has. You right, know, it's not as fresh. Example, Disney. I mean, yeah, Disney, like, yeah, adults like certain aspects of Disney because, and they like it for their kids because their kids are in the house. So it's true, but it's not absolutely not going to take away from people like based on the cost of what a monthly Netflix and, uh, and Disney costs, like prices have been driven down so deeply that the people that want to have uh, Netflix and Disney will have both of them. And I don't see the Disney thing as, taken away um if anything i just see it um probably you know sometimes competition is good i think this may be a time where competition is good because the adult and the sophisticated kind of uh person is going to want to be watching netflix kind of uh movies at least i think so i mean mm -hmm. i like what's on netflix myself that doesn't mean everybody does but the point is fundamentally that part makes sense this could be a very long road to recovery even if some of those modeling dates prove to be true and the exponential part of the rise starts flattening out but just because it flattens out i hear you know there's some reports now that show that there's several strains up to maybe i think the last one i heard was like five strains of the virus and because they're all pretty close to the same kind of strain like there's not that much variation uh that's not a big deal, but if this goes on for too long, there'll be more opportunity for more strains to happen. And in that scenario, we may, as I said in past podcasts, see recurrences of, uh, you know, of these spikes in certain um, areas of the world from time to time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, knowing that that's, that could be a, a longer term scenario, that would, that definitely adds a tailwind to companies that, um, people would der derive uh, benefit from in terms of mm -hmm. entertainment. So that's the fundamental side of it. Uh, and they're still growing, but the, the technical side of it from how I look at things uh, from the behavioral and perception point of view, uh, it looks tremendously uh, interesting. Yeah, it is. Uh, let's see the last one, 361. And yeah, it's uh, 361. And let me just see if I could give some. This is one that I 
don't mind um, giving some detail, giving a little bit more detail behind it. I'm not going to go ultra detail, like because those are things that are extremely variable. But in a broad, on the broad brush here, uh, looking at it. Uh, so in the in the intermediate term trend, when I talk about intermediate, I'm talking stuff like, you know, before September. Okay, so before September. Uh, we've got long-term support at 332 to 312.50, okay? So if for whatever reason uh, we, we have a flash crash, let's say overnight one night because there was a bad piece of information and stocks were to gap down and then immediately rise, this is the stock that you want to be owning. I would just, sometimes what happens in the after-hour sessions, if people put out some kind of crazy low ball number like okay just put in an after hours order in at like 330 or just something and you know if if there's nobody there uh somebody may you know a market order may you know fill there are rules about how far away you could put prices but if it allows you to put it in then uh then yeah that's that's definitely the intermediate term area but there's a lot of near term support in the area of uh, 359 to uh, 344 and today got close enough to it from my perspective to, to be stepping in mm -hmm. uh, given the magnitude of the upside. I always look at reward to risk and, and the different levels and thing is I see that you know the next major push up being into the uh, into the 400 405 handle and and you know Obviously, there's going to be some uh, resistance up there and some longer-term sellers that kind of, you know, way back in June, I think, believe it was June 21st, 2018, when uh, Netflix made a, uh, a previous significant high. And any traders that happen to be unfortunate to buy it on that high day before it got went into a wicked sell-off where it descended into a low on, you know, into around uh, the end of December, 2018, it got as low as uh, $231.23. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we move back up to that initial area for, you know, 400 or 405, there's probably going to be a few people that suffered that pain that may want to just break even mm -hmm. and get some uh, selling pressure. Uh, so, you know, as, as a trader as I am, I, I would be, you know, looking at it that, you know, as we near those points and, and then just kind of ride it as high as I can short term based on shorter term um, indicators. And then I'd probably take some off and then, and then buy it back. My guess is if it was to go back down again, maybe it would go, it, it, nothing says it couldn't go back down to 361 or 394 mm -hmm. once it gets up to 400. So I kind of, that's kind of the plan. But once I get to the 400, that's when I'll reevaluate and figure out where exactly I want it. Well, I know a lot of the production companies are actually suffering um, right now because with the virus being as bad as it is and people trying to be safer, I know production has halted on numerous uh, movies that were in the works as well as shows. So now Netflix has a pretty massive catalog already um, but I imagine that their production is going to be 
maybe not halted, but definitely limited uh, for the next few months. Uh, do you think that there's, I mean, this is purely speculation, but do you think that there's any fallout from that? Well, when, the modeling that I use, I actually just call it a research framework. Uh, that's why I have levels. So mm -hmm. I, I look at like the short-term indicators and it's like, okay, you know, 359 is the closest one. And then there's that level at 333 to 312. So if something like that was to happen, I'd just be buying twice as many shares down at mm -hmm. that level. And I would just stop. Like there's certain things that you don't want to do as an investor mm -hmm. is average down to infinity. And you end up with owning one stock with way too many gotcha. shares. But like averaging down is fine, but you have to have a reason for buying it at a certain level. So there's only really one more level below that's of interest. So yeah, but that doesn't change the thesis that I, I expect a, a massive rally. Now that 400 to 405 level was just like an initial, you know, tradable area. That's not what I think this is going to end at. You know, I could easily see it, you know, 450 and uh, a lot of movement happening over short periods of time. So there's going to be some ferocious rallies in this stock mm -hmm. and, you know, sell-offs would be relatively contained. Uh, I mean, look, if, if for whatever reason, this thing lasted for more than two years and nobody was able to come up with the vaccine that was viable and got distributed and the, the whole world was shut down indefinitely. Well, that is, that just seems crazy because that's just not how uh, pandemics have worked before. You just don't shut down a world indefinitely and a virus never, you know, you never mitigate the situation. It does mitigate. It just seems horrible in the mm -hmm. short term. So but in, in a scenario like that, if it, if it did a mutation and we, every time we got a vaccine, we had to make a new one, then yeah, I mean, the whole market, we know what would happen. It would be a disaster. I just, mm -hmm. but that's fits in with the longer term, you know, the longer term outlook in the market, especially for the Canadian market is a disaster for this uh, decade. It's just, the question is, do we get another year or two where the market goes in a very wide consolidation. Mm -hmm. uh, for Canada, I see it going way lower, like in, in, in the coming year. So even if it stabilizes on this rally that happens in the States, in the near term, Canada could still get killed. And, and then after the rally fades up, once it has that big rally in the States, then Canada would just fall, fall off a cliff. So, I, and even the States, if, like once we get that big rally and if I identify, hey, you know what, that we're likely to roll over again, then we may make a new low and then we'll probably have another one of those crazy rallies to the high. So it's going to be like a widening kind of consolidation that's going to drive people crazy. But it's almost like a bear market and a bull market happening in such a short period of time instead of happening over years. And in physics, we call that flickering when you mm -hmm. get like these crazy insane movements happening at the um, edge of um, uh, of chaos, tipping point. And uh, that kind of chaos could technically happen for, for another 18 months uh, before it completely, you know, gives way over the next, uh, you know, decade. So I, I think we're going to have a lost decade similar to, uh, to Japan. Uh, mm -hmm. Canada will get it the worst probably. Uh, of any place, maybe on the planet.
like for a developed country. Really? Uh, but uh, the states could also get it pretty bad. But I don't want to go there because then people are going to think, oh, I'm making a bearish call. And I know the, the, the immediate call I'm making is for this, whatever bearish thing I'm talking about longer term is not going to happen unless there is a massive, massive rally where people could actually participate in quality companies and in the broad market. After that, then we'll have to like call it day to day. And, that, and that's why we have this podcast so we could come back and, and tell people about what we see. In right. Hey guys, thanks for listening. So this podcast is for information purposes only. It's not intended to be advice. Seek a duly licensed professional for actual investment advice.